What is up, Solo Cups? My name is John Solo, and if you're in need of a good cry, then this is the episode for you. Because today on Messed Up Origins, we're talking about one of the saddest fairy tales I've ever read, The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen. And the reason I put fairy tales in quotes is there's really nothing about this story that makes you think fairy tale. There's no witches, no goblins, or monsters of any kind, and there's definitely no knight in shining armor to come save the day. No, instead what we have is a depressing little story that exposes is the harsh reality of what it was like to be a child living in poverty during the Industrial Revolution. Sounds fun, right? Taking inspiration from the experiences of himself and his mother, he tells the tragic tale of the Little Match Girl's last night here on Earth after her family, society, and even nature itself turn their back on her. Yeah, leave it to Hans Christian Andersen to call a story like this a fairy tale, and on top of that, insist both that it's made for children and that its ending is a happy one. You know what? I'm not gonna say anything more. I'll just tell you the story and let you judge for yourself. Chapter one, the sad story of the little match girl. So this story opens on the night of December 31st, the last night of the year, only our protagonist isn't celebrating the occasion with family or making resolutions she won't keep about losing her freshman 15. Instead, she's wandering through the bitterly cold and icy streets with her ears and feet turning different shades of red and blue because she has no hat or shoes to keep them warm. She was wearing slippers earlier, but they belonged to her mother and were way too big for her, so they came off when she ran across the street. And then some little shithead, who is probably named Derek, stole one and she couldn't find the other. Now it's worth noting here that we're only a few sentences into the story and Anderson has already given a distinct description of the protagonist's feet, an appendage he always gives special attention to as a result of his father being a shoemaker. While there are multiple tales of his, like the red shoes and girl who trod on the loaf, where characters who put too much value on their shoes run into trouble, his decision for the little match girl to not have any was to make her as pitiful as possible. Oh, and speaking of her name, the little match girl, or LMG for short, the reason she's called that is because stuffed in the pockets of her apron are several matchboxes that she was supposed to sell to people on the street. Sadly though, she didn't sell a single one, and it's because of that fact that she knew she couldn't go home to her father. Every time she came back empty-handed, he would beat her. So instead of returning home, which wasn't all that warm anyway, the girl ducked into the alley between two houses so she'd be safe from the wind. And while she's sitting in the freezing darkness, she looks up and down the street and sees golden lights shining from the windows of all the houses where family and friends are gathered together in celebration. The smell of roast goose is wafting through the air, but it's only a tease to the little match girl whose tiny hands were about frozen solid at this point. Having no other choice, she lights one of her matches to warm them up when suddenly a bright glowing vision forms around her. Magically, the girl is now sitting in front of a great big iron stove that had a nice warm fire burning. But when she reached her feet out to warm them up too, the match burned out and the vision disappeared. The girl then lights another match and this one causes the wall next to her to become transparent. And what does she see inside but a glorious Christmas feast. Funnily enough, the supper's main course, the roast goose, waddled to the girl from across the table with a knife and fork still stuck in it, but again, when she reached out to grab it, the match went out and it disappeared. The next vision she's treated to features a beautiful and massive Christmas tree with thousands of candles burning on its branches. Only when she reaches out, the vision melts away and the candles are replaced with these stars in the sky. It's at this point that LMG sees a shooting star and remembers what her grandma, the only person who was ever nice to her, used to tell her. Shooting stars are human souls leaving for heaven. She decides to light a fourth match, and this time she sees her grandmother standing in front of her looking as warm and lovely as ever. Unwilling to let this particular vision go, LMG lights another match. 
and another, and finally strikes the whole bundle of matches to create an all-consuming glow. This time, when the little girl reached out, her vision didn't disappear. Her grandma scooped her up in her arms and took flight, carrying her high above the earth where there was no fear, no hunger, and no cold. But while her soul went to the heavens, her body stayed here on earth, sitting with pink and blue cheeks and a little smile. The morning after, a crowd gathered around the girl's body, which at this point was frozen stiff, and they saw the matches in her hand. They knew she died trying to warm herself, but not one of them considered the beautiful visions that she saw on her way out or the joy she felt as she entered the new year at her grandmother's side. Chapter 2. Inspired by True Events To anyone who was left confused by that ending, I'll just spell it out for you. R.I.P. L.M.G. Now, if you're anything like me, the ending of that story had you asking one of two questions. What the actual f*** Anderson? And why? As in, why would anyone write a story for children that's about a little peasant girl who spends the last holiday of the year completely alone and freezes to death? Well, like most of Anderson's works, there are levels to his inspiration, and what provided the spark this time was a publisher who sent him three woodcuts, a special kind of painting, and asked him to write a story about one of them. I'm sad to say that we don't have a copy of the woodcuts to show you, but Anderson himself said in his diary that he chose a scene that depicted poverty and deprivation, a ragged little girl with a handful of matches, and his reasons for doing so were pretty fascinating. As we've talked about several times now, Anderson had a real rough start in life, with his father dying while he was still young and getting bullied at school for being poor and having atypical interests, and as a result, he could identify with the poor little girl in the picture who was just trying to get by. But what amplified the inspiration Anderson took from the picture was what his life was like when the publisher sent him those woodcuts in 1845. Because at that point, Homie was living large. He'd written multiple fairy tale collections that sold exceedingly well. He was friends with celebrities of all kinds and was actually staying in a castle with the Duke of Augustenborg when he wrote this story in less than a week. After experiencing such extremes at both sides of the financial spectrum, Anderson wanted to shed some light on what life was really like for European children living in poverty during the Industrial Revolution. Man, I'm gonna feel so weird every time I get to that stage in civilization now. Some of LMG's story is drawn from Anderson's own experiences, like the bully who stole her slipper and the grandma character who was a reflection of his own grandma whom he adored, but the bulk of the plot was actually taken from his mother's childhood. She used to tell him a story about how when she was young, her father would make her go out and sell matches for money. The reason she couldn't straight up beg instead of selling something was because begging was illegal at that time, a fact that I find depressingly hilarious. Like telling people who have no food and not a penny to their name that they somehow have to find their way out of that situation without asking anyone for help is so absurdly stupid that I can't help but laugh at the idea. Alas, no matter what the laws were at that time, Anderson's mother wouldn't have felt comfortable asking strangers for anything, even a penny in exchange for a match, but whenever she went home empty-handed, her father would beat her while her mother would berate her for being lazy. So to avoid going through that for as long as possible, she would hide away under a little bridge until it got so late she absolutely had to go home, similar to how the little match girl hid away in that alley. Chapter 3. A Crappy Ending so while Anderson may have been inspired by his mother's experience, he obviously made LMG's story end very differently. So 
What's the deal with that? Well, at first glance, I would assume that it's because Hans was trying to convey a message to the adults who were reading the story to their kids. That if they saw little ones suffering on the street, not to just brush them off because they could be their only hope for salvation. But honestly, I don't know if that's the case because Anderson claimed that the ending was happy. Instead of her having to go back home to her abusive family and spend even more time living in misery, she's whisked away to a land where she'll never feel pain again and can spend every second with the grandma she loved so much. And while I do get where he's coming from with that, it reminds me of the Little Mermaid's ending where she essentially dies and then has to spend 300 years in purgatory doing good deeds. Like, yeah, I guess the suffering is over, but that's not the solution that anyone wanted. Especially in a story written for children. There's a lot of people out there who agree that the one requirement for a good children's story would be the triumph of the protagonist. And that's not at all what happens here. After painting LMG as the ultimate victim where her family, her peers, society, and nature itself have all turned their backs on her and making you feel extreme empathy for her, she succumbs to the elements and dies. Even when you take into consideration that she's an angel in heaven now, most people aren't going to be happy about that. I mean, how would you feel if this happened to the very hungry caterpillar? What if instead of watching him grow and evolve into a beautiful butterfly, the entire book showed him being picked on by the other bugs and almost freezing to death before being smushed by some human? You wouldn't be like, aw, well his life kind of sucked anyway, so at least now he can be happy as a very hungry ghost caterpillar. You'd be like, what the sh**, Eric Carl? I wanted to see him turn into a butterfly. Now, it is worth noting that when Anderson published this story in December of 1845, it wasn't included in one of his collections for children, but rather the 1846 edition of the Danish folk calendar though I'm not sure why. So it is possible that when he originally wrote The Little Match Girl, he didn't have little kids in mind as his target audience. That being said, it was included in the second volume of his second collection, New Fairy Tales in 1848, just three years later. So regardless, he definitely thought it was safe enough for kids. The good news for those who agree with me is you can find plenty of adaptations by authors who took it upon themselves to give her a truly happy ending. One of the more interesting examples that I found was in Frances Hodgson Burnett's A Little Princess, where the main character sees a raggedy little peasant girl meant to be LMG freezing to death in the alley and buys her some freshly baked biscuits from the bakery, which then leads to the baker adopting her. Now, I know not everyone feels the same way as me about the little match girl's ending, and there's even folks out there who have read the story as a child and it didn't hit them in a particularly sad way, so I do want to be clear that this is just my perspective. A sad ending does not equate to a bad ending, nor a bad story. I just don't think I'll be rushing to read this one to my kids, even though I do plan on sharing sharing some other messed up stories with them, this one just seems needlessly depressing. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo and don't forget, John shot first.